everybody. This is the Washington State Indivisible Podcast. I am your host. My name is Stephen Cox. Hello. This week, with the 2019 election upon us here in Washington, we have an in-depth look at key races and initiatives from all over the state with an expert lineup. We have the strangers Rich Smith, Indivisible Washington's 8th District Leader Chris Petzold, and Fuse Washington's Communications Director Colin Jurgens. Then, continuing our election discussion, we also have a look at a new digital organizing platform called Outreach Circle that uses your personal relationships to empower campaigns. We will be talking with the CEO, Sangeeth Pururi. That is all ahead, so stay with us. So by now, you should be aware that the 2019 election is here in Washington, and you should have received your ballot by now. So just a friendly reminder, they are due to be mailed in on or before November 5th. And, you know, I just thought since we're in the home stretch here, it would be informative to talk about some of the more crucial races and measures on this year's ballot with some of the folks that you have come to know and trust over the course of this show. And so first, to talk about the Seattle City Council race and some other related issues, we are joined by our friend Mitch. <laughs> Mitch McConnell. Uh, yeah, Mitch McConnell. <laughs> <laughs> the, st- the status quo has to go. <laughs> Jellier. <laughs> oh, man, that's too good. Now forget it. I'm, I'm, I'm keeping that. Anyway, uh, to talk about the Seattle City Council race and some other related issues, we are joined by our friend Rich Smith of Seattle's weekly paper, The Stranger. Rich, how you been, man? It's been a minute. It's been too long. I've been good. Good. Well, I am uh, very, very happy that you could join us to offer some of your takes on what is happening in uh, you know Seattle during this election season because you've been doing so much writing about it, and I, I I think that people will really benefit from hearing your perspective on things. So you know, let's just jump right in and talk about the the big race, the Seattle City Council race. This is got a lot of national attention. There have been endorsements and tweets from people like Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren and Robert Reich and others. Um, I want to I want to start with this narrative that some people are calling this a referendum on progressivism in Seattle and, and in other cities generally. What do you make of that narrative? Yeah, um, as far as I can tell, looking at the mailers and you know the columnists coming out from the big papers and and the ads that are getting spread everywhere, the narrative uh, you know from the right uh, or the center right is that the city council equals the status quo, which equals the homelessness crisis. And mm. even though there are nine members on the council, PACs um, and the above are using. Socialist City Council member Shama Sawant as the face of this status quo uh, because they have polling showing that she's unpopular relative to the other members. And so Mm -hmm. they're trying to leverage that unpopularity to get more uh, conservative people uh, on on the council. And uh, in these ads and columns, they also use fear of homelessness and the homeless um, to get people to vote for a slate of uh, candidates backed by the uh, chamber, the Seattle Chamber of Commerce, who have you know, promised to varying degrees uh, a more of a law and order approach to the crisis and mm. have also promised not to tax big businesses um, for money uh, to solve that problem. This sort of tracks with what Fox and Trump are doing um, in other uh, West Coast cities. They're using this issue of homelessness and blue cities to tar the progressive politicians who run there. And as with all things, Trump the administration is actually to, to blame here. <laughs> uh, the root cause of the problem is a shredded federal safety net and income inequality uh, arising from unchecked corporate growth. And um, what we know is that houses solve homelessness and that shelters solve the problem of people sleeping outside. Addressing both of those issues costs money with the limiting taxing authority Cities can't ever do enough to raise that money. So what we need is massive investment from the federal government um, and, you know, maybe not so many tax breaks for big businesses. But the Trump administration has slashed funding for HUD, which is the uh, department that Ben Carson controls. So that's kind of the overview of the big problems facing Seattle and and part of the the backlash. In general, I'd say that there is a kind of Seattle progressive who hates Donald Trump, but that doesn't mind 
treating homeless people like criminals, hates immigration policy, but doesn't want to see larger apartments in their neighborhood, backs the Green New Deal, but doesn't want to, you know, fund bike lanes and other modes of transit. Yeah, there's, there's so, this so like a of, NIMBY progressive, basically. Yes, yes. This is NIMBY progressive who 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 is frustrated with uh, the the city council and and would like to see other NIMBY progressives like them on on the on the. Represented. Well, man, you've you've touched on so much that I, I really want to unpack. Uh, certainly, uh, Sawant's race, um, Amazon. Um, you know, a yeah. lot of this. I think, in terms of Amazon getting involved with this year's race, has its roots in the head tax issue from last year. That was where Amazon threatened to uh, leave, stop building their uh, mega tower after the council approved a head tax on multi-million dollar businesses, including Amazon, to help with the homeless problem in Seattle. Mm-hmm. So talk about Amazon's kind of outsized role in this year's election. Yeah. Well, uh, last week they dropped a uh, million dollars, bringing their total uh, uh tally in the race up to $1.5 million about in an effort to buy the council. Um, Yeah, as you mentioned, they won a very public messaging campaign around the head tax uh, that the city council passed last year. The tax, by the way, would have just raised a couple hundred million dollars to pay for some shelter and housing. Not it wouldn't have done a lot, but it would have done some, you know, to help uh, with the issue. Amazon and other big businesses gave hundreds of thousands of dollars to the repeal effort, and they won. Uh, with the exception of Sawant and Councilmember Teresa Mosqueda, uh, the council voted to repeal the bill. It was embarrassing uh, for everybody, and uh, now Amazon is hoping that you know a million five will be enough to buy the council and that they'll never have to look at another tax again. <laughs> well, yeah, and so, I mean, Amazon is being part of the big business influence that has, has come in. Uh, as, in response to uh, what they see, I think, as overreach by the city council, uh, your colleague Lester Black had a piece talking about how big business PACs are actually outspending labor PACs four to one, which was kind of jaw-dropping to me. Yeah. And, and I'm just wondering, you know, if this works, right, if, if businesses are successful in essentially buying this race, w- what's the fallout from that in your mind? Yeah, I mean – <laughs> if this works, Seattle becomes a company town again. Mm. Uh, if Seattle becomes a company town and Amazon wins, that is, can buy a mid-sized city for about a million five, then they'll buy Washington State. They'll go up to the state legislature and use their money and their lobbyists to peddle influence there and get what they want at the state level. And if they buy Washington State, which they could pretty pretty easily too. Mm-hmm. Uh, they'll try to buy the country too. And you know, they'll they'll and because of Citizens United and various permissive um, uh, campaign finance laws, um, they'll have a much easier time of doing that now and and not being tracked really. All right, so let's just dig in and talk about the council races. There are seven of them. Uh, we mentioned so on which I want to get to, but what are some of the other ones that you're watching closely? The other ones I'm interested in that seem to be kind of toss-uppy are uh, Lisa Herbold versus Tavel in District 1. That's West Seattle. Um, Alex Peterson and Sean Scott, District 4. That's uh, sort of the U District and North Central Seattle. And then um, Heidi Wills and and Dan Strauss in District 6. That's in Ballard. Yeah. Yeah, let's talk about Let's jump in on that because I know that uh, Amazon's PAC – is spending six hundred and forty-five thousand, I believe, to uh, elect Heidi Wills over Dan Strauss. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so yeah, so this gets to the point you were making earlier, which is that Wills, she's endorsed by a lot of the state's big name Democrats. So why is Amazon supporting her? Amazon's supporting her because she's part of a slate that is um, of candidates who have been picked by the Seattle Chamber of Commerce. And the Seattle Chamber of Commerce's PAC case is the beneficiary of all that Amazon money. So they're basically using the chamber to vet the candidates who they back. And Heidi Wills, she was on the council before. She was kicked out due to scandal. Um, The Hurt scandals basically boil down to she's not very good at looking too closely at the people who are doing favors for her or donating to her. Yeah, I she believe showed... the, uh, the endorsement guide in, in The Stranger referred to it as stripper gate. Can you boil that down for us? 
Yeah, there was a strip club in the North End, I think called Ritz, owned by Frank Perlacuccio. Uh, Frank wanted his uh, uh, parking lot expanded. Heidi took meetings and donations with people connected to him um, and ex- in exchange, basically, uh, for uh, to, to vote to expand that guy's parking lot. <laughs> wow. And so she claims that she didn't know about it, that she was naive uh, at, at the time. And um, uh, but she's evinced similar behavior recently. Uh, a pack called Moms for Seattle, one of the many packs that have sprouted up to back the um, the conservative, more conservative candidates, uh, support her uh, campaign. They, you know, have photo. They were the ones who photoshopped the mailers of uh, tents in parks that didn't exist in order to drum up fear about homeless people. Um, she says that she didn't know that they existed, though their existence has been well documented, and they gave her a bunch of money. Uh, she's also just recently, my stranger colleague Natalie um, Graham reported on uh, some filing failures. Basically, she uh, did a campaign event and Ballard and maybe allegedly to get around um, uh, caps on uh, donations to campaign, she failed to file uh, the correct number uh, or the the correct amount of money that the event was worth. Uh, And, you know, there's like that part of her, (laughs) of her, her scandal, but you know, on the issues, she's very much what the chamber is looking for, what Amazon's looking for. She's, uh, says that she'll back some progressive tax, but only after we look through the couch cushions to see if we already have the money for the homelessness crisis. She's into a law and order response to end, uh, you know, to address homelessness. That is, she's pro sweeps. She doesn't want to have safe consumption sites in um, located in Ballard. So she she's she's that kind of candidate, which is what which is what Amazon wants to see. All right. Well, so then I know that the stranger is endorsing her opponent, Dan Strauss. So tell us about him. Yeah, Dan Strauss. Uh, he was a legislative aide for um, Bagshaw. He sort of fashions him Sally Bagshaw, a council member who's um, step, who's not running again in the seventh district. That's downtown. He's uh, he's he. he, he frames himself as uh, Ballard's paper boy uh, because he had a paper route there. And uh, he's been uh, knocking doors and is kind of a, is a, a friendly uh, younger guy. I think he's uh, in his early, early 30s. He is um, more progressive than um, Heidi Wills on those uh, issues. He welcomes um, safe injection uh, sites in Seattle. He's also for upzoning. Uh, he's not into sweeps uh, like Heidi Wills is. And so he's just a little bit uh, to the left of her. Okay. Got it on that. So endorsement goes to Strauss there. And then, so yeah, man, let's just jump in and talk about the 800-pound gorilla race. That is the the third district race that is uh, incumbent uh, Shama Sawant's race mm. uh, against Egan Orion. Uh, she, as you say, is very much a uh, bete noir of the right. Just explain for people who may not know, why is Sawant so controversial? That's such a great question. I <laughs> <laughs> You know, she's controversial because she's, you know, she's strident uh, in her speech. Uh, She uh, is not afraid to call out, uh, you know, Democrats for advancing corporate interests ahead of the interests of the people. She uh, at, at, at the base of it, it's it's the kind of politics that she does. You know, a lot of people try to do coalition building within bureaucracies to advance um, incrementally. Shama Sawant comes out of a movement building politics, sort of like Bernie Sanders. What's your theory of change? Well, you get the people together, you listen to what the people want, and then you bring the people's voice into city council. People call that movement style politics un- uncivil because it relies on mass protests and, you know, um, disrupting the normal everyday course of, of events uh, in order to make change to, to put the pressure on. And so because, you know, nice, pleasant, passive aggressive Seattleites don't like working that way, <laughs> she gets, uh, she gets, uh, you know, a bad, a bad rep, you know, uh, from, from, from people who, who would uh, prefer to 
ask corporations very nicely for money to help fix stuff. You know, so she she doesn't she doesn't buy that, and she calls out uh, the bullcrap when she hears it. Right, um, right, yeah. And yeah. like Sanders, she is a self-described socialist, although she doesn't put the Democrat in front of socialist. Um, and as you mentioned earlier, she was one of two council members who voted against repealing the head tax. You said in a recent column something I thought was very interesting, and that is that you believe she's very useful to the right and that they would be loath to get rid of her. Talk about that. Yeah. I mean, (laughs) Salant is very useful all over uh, the state. Um, If the state wants, if, if state, if Republicans in the state house, for instance, think that a a policy is too progressive, they'll try to tag Salant's face to it and say, this is a socialist policy backed by a Trotskyist who wants to overthrow, you know, capitalism and this, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll be Venezuela if this thing passes. (laughs) So they're, you know, when Moncra Dingra was, was running, uh, you know, they, they were tied Moncra Dingra to Shama Sawant saying that she was going to pass the same policies that Sawant advocated for, which is just so far from the truth. (laughs) A prosecutor in Covington, like two completely different people. But, you know, they they use her to uh, fundraise against. And um, and they also use her um, if, you know, if a progressive thing fails that Sawant backed, then they'll say, look, not even liberal Seattle likes it. So, you know, there's no way it's going to be good for us over here in Yakima, Spokane, wherever. Right. So she's a very useful political tool for them. And if, if they lose her, I don't know who the next person is going to be. Actually, the next person will be whoever the 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 progressive on city council is going to be. It might, you know. I yeah, know. well, I guess we'll 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 have to see. I mean, I'm sure they'll find some liberal phantasm to share the rest <laughs> of the state with. Um, I, I want to talk about her opponent, uh, Egan Orion. Um, so here's a guy who runs Seattle's Pride Fest. He yeah. supports a Green New Deal for Seattle. He supports yeah. affordable housing and any other city race. He would be considered the progressive. Um, I guess the the answer as to why he is getting Amazon money is clear. It's because he's running against Sawant. But I'm curious, has he indicated in any way that he would vote in favor of corporate slash Amazon interests if he's elected? It's more about what he's not saying. Um, you know, he's very personable. Uh, and yeah, I guess he would be seen as uh, the progressive person in the race, but he, like the other uh, people running on the uh, chamber slate, thinks that we can find money for homelessness in the couch cushions. He's against safe consumption sites. He's had to evolve on a number of issues during the race, um, which is evolve to say in which that, direction. Well, it depends on the um, on the issue. So you know, initially he has come out against move-in fee caps, which is a renter's protection that prevents landlords from charging you just a fee to move in on top of first month's last rent's deposit. He was favorable to those before he ran before he, but you know, in the, in the beginning of the race, he said he wasn't for, um, uh, capping rent hikes at 10% and, uh, offering relocation assistance. Now he's in the voter pamphlet saying that he's before he said that he was, um, uh, for safe injection sites, or he was sort of waffling on safe injection sites. Now he's against them. Uh, before he said that rent control was a terrible policy. Now he says that he's he's he he would think about the Oregon model. So his initial impulses on some of these issues have been to the left. But since the money has come in, his his position changes based on what the uh, acceptable position is to to the chamber, the more moderate position. So this is this is the bellwether race that everybody is going to be watching, I think. Um, any guesses uh, how it goes? That's such a good question. I mean, um, before the Amazon money dropped, I would say that I was extremely worried uh, about Sawant or not, you know, worried, but you know, the, the bet would be that she would lose just because during the primary, she got 37% of the vote. If an incumbent doesn't get over 50% of the vote, that means that you know, there's some unpopularity issues that you're dealing with there, you know, given the choice, um, uh, people will vote for, um, other progressives who aren't you who are in the race. So she was dealing with that before. Now that those, uh, now that it's just between Sawant and, uh, Orion, I don't know that the people who voted for the other candidates in that race are going to 
go for Orion. Hmm. Uh, so I'm not sure. Um, now that the Amazon money has dropped, though, there has been this kind of uh, backlash. Uh, and people around town are generally grossed out <laughs> by, yeah. by the money. And uh, you have members on the left uh, uniting on this issue, socialist alternative people, democratic socialist people and Democrats, because they realized, as we were talking about earlier, you know, that, that they're next. And so they see this, you know, as uh, they, they're seeing this race, you know, for what it is, which is a, a symbol of um, uh, potential things to come. And so um, I think that if Orion is, you know, um, if people associate him with this Amazon money, then he might uh, lose votes. Well, we're all certainly going to be keeping an eye on that one. All right. So, look, before I let you go, I want to talk about I-976. And this is an initiative put forward by Tim Iman. And I will just ask you, uh, for listeners who may not know, who is Tim Iman? (laughs) (laughs) I'm really teeing you up here, man. I mean, Tim Iman. He is uh, (laughs) – There's a number of descriptors you can use for Tim Miman, but I guess, uh, you know, he's a a right-wing activist whose entire life is bent around um, making sure that the state can never raise taxes again, and he hates uh, the republic part of our democratic republic. (laughs) Mm -hmm. He's he's an initiative uh, gatherer, and uh, he spends his life trying to get initiatives on the ballot um, so that uh, policy can be made only by um, uh, mass uh, democratic ballot measures and not by uh, elected representatives. <laughs> that's that's basically his his thing. Yeah, yeah. He, uh, people may also know him uh, for being uh, currently sued by the attorney general uh, for filing for bankruptcy, uh, for <laughs> being charged with illegally laundering political donations, and then of course uh, being caught on camera trying to rip off a desk chair at Office Depot. So that's <laughs> that's our friend Tim Iman. So. Let's talk about uh, I-976. This would reduce fees to register your car to a flat $30 and eliminate sales tax on vehicle purchases, among some other things. Talk about what would be some of the consequences of 976 passing. Yeah, there would be tons of them. First, in general, there would be a massive hit to the transportation funding at the state level. We would lose hundreds of millions of dollars. Uh, What that translates to in your everyday life, 170,000 hours of bus service in Seattle would be cut. Mm -hmm. Ferry ticket prices skyrocket. Service would be cut. Basic road maintenance would go undone. Highways would go unexpanded. And all of this just so you can pay the same amount in car tabs on a Lamborghini as you would on a Honda. Yeah, your uh, former colleague Heidi Groover, uh, who now does the transportation beat at the Seattle Times, wrote that there's a fear that it could set up a, quote, Hunger Games-style competition between these agencies. I mean, it's yeah. it's, it's severe. Hobbs would, yes. Hobbs, who's the um, uh, head of the Transportation uh, Committee on the uh, – in the, in the state Senate would have to do across the board cuts. And, and then and he basically said, and then people will just have to come to me and fight for what they want like, and, what, and what, 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 what they need. And is um, he going to dress up like Stanley Tucci while they do it? He would, of course he will. <laughs> it would be, yeah, he would be <laughs> derelict in his duties not to, but also in that piece I thought was fascinating. And it's a really good piece. You should read it was, you know, they, he tried to do this in 99, right. Uh, and the legislature ended up uh, having to make, it didn't work. But the legislature ended up having to make massive cuts anyway. And, you know, the last time the last time he did this, um, rural uh, cities and small cities got hit the most because, you know, and got hit the hardest because they use a lot of these car tab funds to pay for the transportation stuff they need to do in their cities. You know, they're not going to be filling potholes. They're not going to be uh, expanding roads, putting stoplights in, doing all the stuff that they need to do. They're not going to be able to do it. Yeah, that's yet another thing that we'll be keeping an eye on uh, in this actually surprisingly very consequential election year. Uh, You can check out The Stranger's Voter Guide along with the thoroughly enjoyable writing of Rich Smith at thestranger.com. Rich, as always, thanks so much, man. Thanks, Stefan. Yeah, my pleasure. Thanks for having me on.
And we're joined next by our friend Chris Petzold. She, of course, is the leader of Indivisible Washington's 8th District, and she's here to talk about a number of races happening on the east side and also in the 8th District. Hello, Chris. Hi there. So, you know, you've been out canvassing, um, and I'm just, I'm curious to know what your general, I don't know, what what's the vibe out there? Like, what are people saying as you talk to them? Are you, Are people even aware that there's an election going on? Actually, some actually aren't. And so it's it's good to remind people of, that elections are happening even in the quote unquote off years. Yeah. And I'd say most people are really worried about traffic and growth. OK, so those are like the two big issues, mm-hmm. which actually kind of is in keeping with a lot of the things that you'll hear on the east side, even in an on year election. So, yeah. you know, I guess uh, the more things change, the more they stay the same. <laughs> yeah. um, so let's start uh, by talking about the mayoral race in Renton. Um, you've been canvassing for Democrat Marcy Maxwell. We know Marcy. She's been on the show. But for those who may not be familiar with her, uh, tell us about her and, and her candidacy. Oh, Marcy Maxwell is amazing. She's a fantastic community leader uh, with decades of service um, to to our state and to this community and people of Renton, the Puget Sound area in general. She raised her kids in Renton. She owns a business there. She loves the community. She's been a longtime friend of Indivisible from the very beginning. Mm-hmm. Uh, she served on the Renton School Board for many years. I think she was president for some time in that. And she was a state representative down in Olympia representing that area. She's amazing. Yeah. No, she's got deep, deep uh, uh, background. Mm-hmm. Is she getting good name recognition when you're out there talking to people? Oh, yeah. Like a lot of people already know who, who Marcy is. But for that's sure. A, that's a yeah. very good sign. Yeah. All yeah. Right. yeah. Um, and then the Issaquah City Council. You live in Issaquah, uh, Issaquah Highlands, and you've been canvassing for Zach Hall. Yeah. So tell us about Zach. Yeah. Zach is awesome. He like Marcy has lived in the same place for decades. He's lived in Issaquah here for 20 years, I think. Uh, he worked with us in the trenches uh, to win the state representative races for in the 5th Legislative District in 2018. Yeah. And now he works as a legislative aide for Representative Lisa Callan. Um, and like Marcy, he really has the relationships and the experience to work on those growth and traffic issues that people are really concerned about. Is that primarily what he's running on? Yes. And to keep, you know, the, the, our environment, to keep the area green. And I know that Michelle Kemper is pretty, that's his uh, opponent. She's pretty pro-business, pretty mm-hmm. conservative. Um, in Issaquah generally, um, are you seeing that same kind of business versus progressive issues narrative play out in the city council race? Not yeah. as much. Not as much? Mm-mm. And if you, if you aren't paying close attention, you'd don't really see much of a difference. Um, you know, the casual voter might not might not know the difference between the candidates, but there is. I mean, Michelle Kemper, uh, her all of her literature says um, that the, our our town needs a conservative, and she's quickly mm. to quick to point out that it's a fiscal conservative, but we all know what she means there. Well, it's interesting because all of our city council races and even mayoral races Mm -hmm. are all quote-unquote nonpartisan. So it's peculiar that she would kind of, I guess, out herself as a conservative. She must feel that there's something to be gained by that. Yeah, and it's interesting because this last year in city council, there was a major thing uh, that the Issaquah City Council did, and they, they actually bought a huge piece of property in one of the surrounding hills on Cougar Mountain. And it was, I can't remember, it's like a 46-acre parcel, I think, millions of dollars. And they worked with uh, King County, with the state, and I think even federal to help with some of the funding for this. And that's the kind of stuff that is at stake here and what makes me scared um, for a Michelle Kemp. Kemper on the council. Well, we'll keep an eye on that race. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, and let's shift over and talk about one of the most contentious races that is happening on the east side and kind of in the state. Uh, it's it's pretty troubling what's going on. I'm talking about Sammamish. So mm-hmm. uh, this is the Sammamish City Council race. Sammamish actually recently made news as the city with the highest median income of any city with a population of at least 65,000. So it's kind Crazy. of on people's radar right now for that reason. Yeah. So talk about the city council race. There are three candidates that your indivisible group supports. Who are they? Yeah, so they are Rituja Indipuri, Karen Howell, and Karen McKnight. Um, we we know all of them, and we trust them uh, to do a good job. We had we didn't do an endorsement or anything, but we had sort of a small process that 
involved sharing our value statement, asking some questions, and having uh, a, a few members of our group be able to, I don't know, vouch for them um, within our team. And that's how we started to support them, meaning we shared information about their canvases and other events with our team. Well, and so just generally speaking, broad strokes, what are some of the things that they stand for? Well, I think it's interesting. Uh, Sammamish is it's growth again. And they're really, um, they're trying to paint the candidates as either being pro-growth, which I don't know who is, and against all growth. Um, And it's interesting because Sammamish seems particularly uh, afflicted with the NIMBY uh, problem, not in my backyard. And so while Issaquah has also had to deal with this tremendous growth, Sammamish is just trying to deny that it's even happening and they're not putting in plans or infrastructure uh, to to deal with it. And it's coming. Um, And so the candidates that we have been supporting all acknowledge that it's coming and they want to plan for it and make sure we have an infrastructure for it and make sure that, uh, you know, the the seniors who live in Sammamish can um, stay in their city um, and be supported there. And that brings us to talking about uh, one of the opponents in the race running against Karen McKnight, Christy Malchow. Um, she is currently the mayor of Sammamish, and she's running for city council. Um, tell us what we should know about her in, in terms of where she fits into this continuum anti-growth, pro-growth thing. Yeah, she's definitely anti-growth all the way. Um, people should know that she has held fundraisers for and publicly supported Republicans in the past and is being uh, groomed for state legislature by the Washington State GOP. And talk about why that's significant. Yeah, because uh, these folks that are coming up through city council and school board and all of that, that you know, that it's a progression from those uh, spots into state legislature and even and maybe even federal. I mean, this is it's kind of like a, a succession plan. And so Christy Malchow is being uh, groomed. Um, by the Republican Party. And so she, along with the other two opponents, uh, Ken Gamblin, Kent Treen, mm-hmm. are attempting to paint the Rituja, uh, Karen Howe, Karen McKnight, as being irresponsibly pro-growth. And that's yeah. where the contentiousness is coming yes, in. Yes, exactly. Okay. Mm-hmm. And it's all playing out on social media. And that's the interesting thing that I wanted to bring up because, mm-hmm. uh, and this is actually kind of near and dear to my heart, uh, and I will just say, and I think most people know, I live in Issaquah, and there has been uh, basically a dearth, almost a death of, of local objective media to yeah. cover this sort of thing. And so I think what we've seen with the Sammamish City Council race is that that has played out um, almost in an unregulated way yeah. on social media. Yeah. And I that's mean, a problem. There's downright smear campaigns. Um, and it's actually been really, really sad to see. And for people who are amazing and beloved like and smart um, like Rituja, it's been really, really sad to see. That's obviously something that uh, will be keeping an eye on, too, because I, I think that speaks to, like you say, some of the larger issues about growth that are happening here on the east side and mm-hmm. uh, what is happening in that race can be indicative of what is happening generally on the east side. I also want to talk about a race that is happening in the very small town of Black Diamond. This is the city council race involving incumbent councilman Chris Wisnoski. It was recently reported by the Enumclaw Career Herald that uh, Wisnoski is a member of the Washington State Three Percenters. Who are they? <laughs> they, um, they are a white nationalist militia group. Um, and it's just frankly stunning to know that someone in elected office, even in, you know, city council, um, is a member of that. And we saw the proof of his membership um, with uh, pictures of him and his friends in the group um, in their fatigues and white power symbols being flashed. And it's just really quite disgusting. And um, it's just a, a it's just a statement about what's going on in our country. And it's playing out even in the tiny little town of Black Diamond. 
Yeah, and look what's happening in Spokane Valley yes. with Matt Shea yes. as well. And yes. uh, Washington Democratic Chair Tina Polidowski has called the Washington Three Percenters an extremist militia group and has advised that any volunteers should contact authorities if they feel unsafe while canvassing mm-hmm. for uh, for his opponent. So that's just something for listeners to keep in mind. Uh, and then just one last thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the last segment, uh, Rich Smith and I talked a little bit about our friend Tim Iman uh, and something that I didn't mention in that segment is that Iman has filled up our ballots with 12 advisory votes, uh, which most most voters don't know are completely meaningless. Mm-hmm. They don't do anything. It doesn't matter if you vote for them or against them. They're still going to go through as legislative measures. And uh, studies have shown that they actually discourage voting because people just look at the ballot and they get overwhelmed. Yeah. Um, but there is something that we can do to fight back. Yeah. And so you are going to do this week's call to action. So what is it? <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, let's push back against uh, Tim Iman, the shoplifter in chief, <laughs> robbing us of the front page of our ballot, shall we? <laughs> So in the upcoming uh, state legislature, we need to contact our state senators, even start doing it now, and urge them to support Senate Bill 5224. And it has a lot of stuff on it about the ballot and the voters pamphlet and all that. But in there, it talks about the ordering of the things on the ballot and basically these stupid uh, advisory votes, which are meaningless, would go at the bottom. They would be last. And so as people are looking through their ballot, they can just go ahead and skip all that stupid stuff. Great. Okay. (laughs) good. So support SB 5224. Call your state senator to get on that. Um, I also actually... uh, dug up a little factoid that uh, it actually costs him $3 million of public funds to put all those advisory votes on the ballot, which is ironic considering that Iman claims to be anti-tax. So there yes. you go. Yes. I was wondering about how much that costs you. Well, there yeah. you go. Chris Petzold is the leader of Indivisible Washington's 8th District. Thank you, Chris. Thank you. And you know, I also want to say a huge thank you to all of the Indivisible members all across the state who have been out canvassing and working tirelessly on this election. You people are my heroes. And then finally, for this election special, we are joined by our pal, Colin Jurgens. He is communications director at Fuse Washington. Fuse puts out the Progressive Voters Guide, and Colin is here to talk about a few other key races that are happening around the state. Hello, Colin. Hey, how's it going? Thanks for having me. Yeah, man. So, you know, uh, this is right down to the wire here, and I know that things are probably uh, a little hectic on your end in the offices there. And this is just kind of anecdotal, but I get a sense just looking on social media that even though these so-called off-year elections are harder to drive engagement, that people are by and large more engaged this year than in past uh, off-year elections, probably because of what's happening at the national level. Is that your sense? Yeah, I agree. I think the national news and the national political environment is causing more people to pay attention. Yeah. And that, uh, in addition, there are also important local races in places like Spokane and Bellingham, Tacoma and Seattle um, that are also making people take a look at the races in their backyard, uh, races that will have a big impact on the future of their communities. Well, that's why we brought you on, uh, specifically to talk about things that are happening in places like Spokane, Tacoma, Bellingham. Uh, But before we get to that, I want to start with the affirmative action measure that's on the ballot, because this has been creating some confusion. Uh, This is referred to both as R88 and also I-1000. It's R88 on the ballot. Can you help us understand why the discrepancy? Yes, Uh, It is very confusing, and uh, I think for that reason, this is the most uh, searched-for item on the ballot uh, for our progressive voters guide. So Mm. it's something that we've we've been paying a lot of attention to. So last year, uh, a diverse coalition of activists uh, collected nearly 400,000 signatures to reinstate affirmative action in Washington State. Now, for some of your listeners who have lived in the state for a long time, you might remember that uh, back in 1998, uh, Tim Iman, uh, in one of his first ballot measures, uh, overturned affirmative action in Washington. Mm. And now we are one of only eight states in the country that prohibits affirmative action. And 20 years later, uh, this coalition got together and collected those signatures to uh, reinstate affirmative action uh, in a ballot measure to the legislature. Now, this is a little bit different than 
most uh, ballot measures that people are familiar with. When you collect signatures uh, for a ballot measure to the legislature, it doesn't go straight on the November ballot. What it does is it goes to the legislature to consider and the legislature can approve it or the legislature can send it to the November ballot for the voters, kind of punt on it. Okay. Uh, so initiative 1000 went to the legislature, the legislature debated it and they approved it. They passed it into law and that was going to be the end of it. But there uh, also were some folks who had, uh, did not want to reinstate affirmative action. They wanted to preserve the status quo. And so they also collected signatures earlier this summer to overturn uh, that law, to overturn Initiative 1000. So it's a little bit silly that we collected signatures to pass a ballot measure, and now we another group collected signatures to overturn the same thing. Yeah. And the overturn effort is Referendum 88. Uh, so that is what is on people's ballot as uh, referendum 88 and initiative 1000. Okay, got it. I think so. The legislature <laughs> voted. Yeah, it is confusing. The legislature uh, the legislature voted to restore affirmative action in May, um, and then there was a move to overturn that. And so now, what's in front of voters right now is basically to affirm I 1000. So we are voting to approve uh, affirmative action in the state. Am I getting that right? Yes, exactly. Uh, okay. Referendum 88 gives the voters of Washington the opportunity to uh, approve or reject the uh, Initiative 1000 that the legislature passed. So we are encouraging people to approve Referendum 88, to reinstate affirmative action. We think it would go a long ways toward uh, improving opportunity and equity in Washington. We think it's long overdue, yeah. and uh, we're optimistic about it passing uh, here next week. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll talk about some of the things that it does, because this prohibits all kinds of discrimination, right? This is not just about race. Correct. Uh, this would allow for uh, equity in hiring for veterans, for women, uh, for people of color, for people with disabilities, for LGBTQ plus folks. Uh, so it would really go a long ways toward uh, improving uh, fairness and opportunity uh, across the spectrum. And I understand it also expands small business opportunities. Is that true? Uh, yes, it would allow uh, the state uh, through public contracts to give preferences to uh, locally owned small businesses, which uh, we think is another great idea. And I will just uh, put out a couple of other things that I've heard debate on. This only affects government hiring, correct? Uh, yes. Okay. And it doesn't allow race to be the sole factor in decision making. And it, and it makes quotas illegal. Am I getting all that? Exactly. I, you know, I, I give the folks uh, credit who wrote Initiative 1000 last summer that they uh, were very thoughtful about the policy they crafted. They, they uh, took some of the lessons learned from other states, what was working, what wasn't working, and they put together uh, a very smart ballot measure. Uh, that I think will will help a lot of folks in Washington. Well, Fuse Washington endorses it, and uh, this podcast does as well. So uh, let's shift over and talk about the mayoral race in Spokane. Uh, we had candidate Ben Stuckert on the show over the summer, who is just wonderful. Uh, and I think listeners will want to know what the latest is on the race, who may not be listening from Spokane. So how's it shaping up? It's really turned into quite a roller coaster of an election. Mm. Nadine Woodward uh, came out uh, slightly ahead in the primary, um, but from everything we've seen, this race is neck and neck. And in the last week or two, uh, there have really been some some twists and turns uh, with with different news stories that have come out. Um, one of the interesting angles in this race is that Nadine Woodward has uh, a lot of name recognition from being a television anchor in Spokane for many years. Right. And because of that, she seems to be trying to avoid holding a lot of public events or even speaking in much detail uh, about her policy proposals. Uh, she seems to want to kind of coast on her, her name recognition and, and stature in the community as a TV host. And as, as people have started to kind of peel away some of the layers there, uh, what we've seen is that she has a, a pretty conservative platform and that she's really trying to hide her party affiliation uh, because by for all intents and purposes, she's a Republican. But uh, but she's knows, claiming to be a nonpartisan, correct? Yes. Uh, technically, the, the race is nonpartisan, uh, but it's clear from her policy positions and um, the things that she's talking about, uh, she sounds like your average Republican. Uh, she also knows that Spokane is a, is a blue city right. uh, that voted overwhelmingly 
for uh, Hillary Clinton over Donald Trump. And so she's going to great lengths to try to conceal her her party affiliation uh, with the hope of kind of sneaking past all the uh, left-leaning voters of Spokane. I understand that the homelessness issue has uh, gone front and center with the race there. How has that played out? Yeah, homelessness has really emerged as a big issue in Seattle and Spokane and many other um, areas around the state. And uh, Nadine Woodward has taken a very hard line uh, on the issue of homelessness. And she's talked multiple times about trying to uh, ban uh, homeless people from the library which is a really harsh measure and also completely impractical. And I think that just speaks to both the fact that she's very conservative and doesn't have a very uh, thoughtful policy platform. Uh, but you know, in Spokane, uh, like I said, in many cities and counties around the state, uh, there, there is a, a large um, number of folks who are homeless. It's, it's a big problem and something that requires really thoughtful, detailed solutions rather than these kind of campaign slogans that uh, she's throwing around. Let's also talk about Ben Stuckert because Fuse is endorsing him. And for folks who may have uh, forgotten some of uh, his platforms or maybe didn't catch the episode that he was on on this show, uh, remind us about who he is and what he stands for. Yeah, Ben Stuckert has been a great progressive leader in Spokane for many years. He's the city council president and uh, he has been a leader on issues like uh, paid sick leave in Spokane. He's great on uh, fighting climate change and environmental protections. He's been an advocate for uh, working families. Uh, you know, across the board, Ben is, has really been uh, a great leader and someone that we think is going to do a great job as mayor of Spokane. Yeah, yeah, absolutely agreed. So that's uh, a race that we will all be keeping our eyes on. You also, when we spoke earlier, wanted to talk about the city council race in Yakima. So Yakima is interesting because it's seen some demographic changes over the last few years. Maybe talk about some of those changes and how they are impacting the race for city council this year. Yeah, I think it's important to go back a few years to 2015 when Yakima went through a big shift in their system of government because Yakima is a majority uh, Latinx, uh, but up until 2015, they had never had uh, a Latinx person on the city council. It was entirely wow. uh, white council members uh, representing the city. And there was a change in the city government that moved the city from uh, from electing their council members uh, citywide to a districted system. And this ushered in uh, a new era of leadership. And it was very exciting time in, in Yakima. But uh, as we've seen nationally and in other places, there there has been uh, a backlash to this to some extent. And you see some uh, conservative elements in Yakima that have not liked uh, the new generation of, of diverse voices leading the city. And um, that's coming out now, uh, four years later, when some of these same folks are back on the ballot, uh, it's become very divisive. And so we are we're proud to support progressives like Eliana Macias, uh, who uh, is a dental assistant at the Yakima Valley Farm Workers Clinic. She's running uh, against a far-right Trump supporter who posts conspiracy theories on uh, his Facebook page. So mm. there's a huge difference between the candidates, a uh, very big difference in, in philosophy and, and outlook. And so uh, we are working hard to support folks like Eliana. Uh, running for city council in Yakima. Yeah, it could be a really interesting bellwether uh, to see how this race plays out and the way that that might be emblematic of some of the things that are happening in central and eastern Washington. So that's certainly one to keep an eye on. And then uh, just a couple of last races that have gone under the radar. Uh, the races for Port Commission in Whatcom and Pierce counties, um, these are generally, you know, races that don't generate a lot of excitement, but uh, you have brought them to my attention, and I would love to talk about why you feel they are so impactful this year. Yeah, I, I totally agree. You know, I don't think uh, most people are sitting around talking about the Port of Bellingham at the dinner table at night, <laughs> but it's both of these uh, elections uh, in, in Whatcom County and Pierce County, as you mentioned, will have uh, big impacts on uh, the future of our clean air and clean water in Washington. 
I think some of your uh, listeners might remember back in 2013, there was a big fight over whether or not to build a coal export facility in Bellingham. Uh, it was going to be one of the largest uh, facilities exporting coal uh, on the West Coast. And advocates from around the state, environmentalists, uh, tribal leaders, elected officials came together and um, stopped that uh, facility. And it was a huge win for the environment. And now there's kind of a quiet campaign by some of the corporate backers of the uh, coal export terminal to reverse it. Uh, you know, they don't want a lot of attention on this because they saw uh, the huge uh, grassroots movement that posed it last time. So trying to do it kind of quietly by electing conservative folks to the Port Commission up in Whatcom County, as well as to the uh, county council with the hope that they can uh, reverse that ruling or uh, maybe uh, build a smaller version of the port. And I think what is uh, particularly interesting here in, you know, going from micro to macrocosm is that you're seeing the same sort of, you know, business versus progressivism battle play out in places like uh, the Seattle Council race, which we talked about uh, with Rich Smith earlier. Any thoughts on that? Yeah, I agree that there has been an influx of corporate campaign spending this year uh, at levels we've never seen before. Uh, you mentioned Seattle. That's happening up in Whatcom County. Uh, it's also happening in the Spokane mayor's race that I talked about before. Uh, you know, Big developers and uh, real estate interests are spending hundreds of thousands of dollars to back uh, the conservative candidate Nadine Woodward. Uh, we're also seeing it down in Tacoma. And even in some smaller communities like uh, Sammamish and in Puyallup, yeah. where relatively small amounts of money can make a big difference in a race that might be decided by 50 or 100 votes. That is something that the uh, Koch brothers learned very well. Uh, and hopefully progressives are starting to kind of get that message. I know that there are a number of PACs that are trying to compete, so we'll see how that plays out. Um, and then just following up on what we were talking about in Pierce County, uh, there has been a fight to prevent a liquid natural gas plant in Tacoma, and that is affecting the Port Commissioner race there. What can you tell us about that? Yeah, similar to Whatcom County, this would be a huge uh, liquid natural gas uh, facility uh, right on the waterfront in Tacoma. And a lot of activists in Pierce County, as well as the Puyallup tribe, have concerns about the impact on uh, clean air and clean water, uh, as well as safety concerns around uh, having such a large uh, natural gas uh, facility right there. And the uh, commissioners, uh, for the Port of Tacoma, some of whom are on the ballot this year, will have a big say on that, as well as the Tacoma City Council members who are on the ballot. Uh, a couple of the most progressive members of the Tacoma City Council have been term limited out. And so there's going to be several new faces on the council uh, who will also have influence over that permitting process. So we have uh, multiple kind of under the radar races that will have a big impact on the future of our environment in Washington. Well, I encourage everybody to check out the Progressive Voters Guide that Fuse Washington puts out. That can be found at progressivevotersguide.com and also at indivisiblepodcast.org. Colin Jurgens is the communications director for Fuse Washington. Colin, thanks as always, man. Thank you. I appreciate it. And finally this week, as many of you activists know, getting people engaged around elections is always challenging, but it is generally easier when you are engaging people who you know. My guest, Sangeet Perari, is CEO and founder of Voter Circle, now known as Outreach Circle, a digital organizing platform that harnesses the power of personal relationships to inspire action and drive change. Sangeet, hello. Hey there, how are you doing? I'm good, man. So let's just jump right in and talk about where the idea came from. So when back when it was known as Voter Circle, the idea originally came from your own experience when you were running for office, right? Can you tell us about that? Yeah, that's right. So when I was running for office, this was back in 2014, I ran for my local school board. We have about 30,000 voters in the district. And I was advised that the best way to uh, get out the word in a local race was knocking on doors, uh, calling people. And that's what I was doing. We we're spending a lot of time knocking on doors. Uh, my daughter was three at the time. My son was seven. They joined me. We'd get their friends out. Mm. And that was working generally quite well. 
Um, but we had a small budget, only of around four or $5,000. And that's what most of the people spend in races in my area. I, some, I've seen some as high as maybe 10,000, but generally it's their low budget sort of uh, friendly campaigns. And then an outside pack came in and decided to put um, over $100,000 into the race against wow. me as a first time candidate. And that really shocked us and surprised us. All of a, all of a sudden, we were overwhelmed. There was also a fake news campaign that was started where um, you know, all kinds of misinformation was circulated through letter writing, through Nextdoor, through Facebook. And all of a sudden, uh, phone and door wasn't working. So we had to try something different. And that's well, why well, I have to just kind of interject um, what you're talking yeah. about. The situation that you're laying out right now is going on in a number of local races that are happening here in the state this year in the 2019 election. So I know that you have people's attention right now. So please continue. No, 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 absolutely. Yeah, it was it was shocking. And, you know, the fake news campaign was so successful by July of that year, just a couple months before Election Day. Um, we had local mayors asking us to pull out of the race and we almost pulled out. Mm. Um, but you know, our kids were in the district and we decided to march on and we knew we had to do something different. So we came up with this strategy that now people call relational organizing, or maybe they always did. I didn't know the term back then. And what we did is we figured out who the key influencers were in town, you know, church leaders, school leaders, after school sports, rotary clubs, lions clubs, et cetera. We met with as many of those groups as we could. Uh, we got them to support us and we had them send out messages on our behalf. And that ended up working so well that we actually won our race. And the PAC spent over $11 per vote and we ended up spending 40 cents per vote. Yeah, you won your race uh, despite being outspent by 30 to 1. So very much a uh, David versus Goliath kind of triumph. Uh, so you get in touch with influencers and then they are the ones who get in touch with their personal network. That's kind of the basis of all of this. Uh, but you, as I mentioned, you recently redesigned Voter Circle and relaunched as Outreach Circle. So what were some of the problems with Voter Circle? Great question. So one of the things that worked amazingly well with Voter Circle is it had this, we have, if you wanted to reach out to your friends in a district, one of the first problems is who lives in your district? Who are voters in your district? Are they right outside the boundaries, et cetera? It's really hard to do that. Mm. So the technology we built with Voter Circle is if anyone wanted to reach out to their friends, it would map their personal address book, whether it's from a phone or from a file or from Gmail, and it would match that against the voter file in real time. And in 20 seconds, it would tell you all of your friends that are registered voters. And then you can text them or you can email them. And that worked amazingly well. But the problem was Voter Circle could pretty much only do that and if, if people didn't want to import their contacts or didn't want to text or email their friends, we didn't give them anything to do. And the problem with this is if you don't give people different options to do, you can't run a long run campaign. You know, it just becomes a GOTV effort and after election days to build up from there. So what we built with Outreach Circle is a broad organizing platform. And what this allows uh, campaigns, organizations, causes to do is to walk their supporters of a ladder of engagement. You can get on the outreach circle, you can share on social, you can learn about the campaign, you can watch a video, you can attend an event, you can donate, you can still do everything that voter circle has. Uh, the, the functionality is much broader and easier to use, but it's just a much wider array. So it's really a one-stop shop for everything you want your supporters to do, whether they're donors, activists, volunteers. Got it. So the ladder of engagement is supposed to be progressive, ideally, then, and you're getting people more and more involved as they either have the uh, inclination, the time, the enthusiasm, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, and the heart of all of this is something called the Supporter Action Hub. Uh, just briefly tell us, and I'll just ask you to do it in layman's terms, but just kind of tell us how the Supporter Action Hub works. That's great. So the Supporter Action Hub, you come into the Supporter Action Hub at OutreachCircle.com and you can search for a, a campaign or a cause. Or if you're supporting an organization, they could send you an invite or a link or share on social. Right. And I should just interject right there that this just this isn't just for campaigns. You can also use it for other organizational kinds of structures as well, right? That's correct. Outreach Circle works for campaigns, causes, organizations. It is one of the reasons we changed the name of the company. When we broadened the product offering, we realized it works for 
many uh, causes outside of politics. Also, when we had government entities, nonprofits, et cetera, wanting to use Voter Circle, you know, the name was problematic because many entities can't do political work. Mm. And if the name is Voter Circle, you know, their legal departments got very nervous. And so with the broader product offering and the ability to help organizations outside of politics, we changed the name of the company. Well, so then I interrupted you. So uh, tell us a little bit about some of the applications uh, that you have have used it for and seen it in action. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we've used it for lots of education organizations, you know, uh, labor organizations, campaigns, different causes. You know, this week I've been using it myself as a supporter on a couple different uh, with a couple different uh, partners and clients. So the first one is in Virginia. We're working with over 50 delegate and Senate races with the coordinated campaign in Virginia to try to flip vote chambers before before redistricting. And so I got on the platform. It figured out which of my friends are registered voters in Virginia, in districts where there is a Democrat running. And then I reached out to all of them, asked them to make sure they vote. And I also asked them to reach out to their friends as well to make sure they vote. And then more locally, um, I'm part of a group that is advocating uh, to save our public schools in uh, Los Altos. And since I left the board, the current board has been more willing to close down our schools. And we've been fighting really hard to not let that happen. So there is a neighborhood, uh, there's a workshop that the district is holding this weekend to get community input. And on our local outreach circle, we have a Facebook post um, asking people to come to the event. We also have a link to RSVP to the event. And then there's also another call to action to be able to find all your friends in our district and ask them to attend the event. So earlier, uh, right before this call, actually it took me about five minutes and I texted about 200 of my friends for my own number, asking them to make sure to come to the event on Saturday. That's fantastic. And I will also say, you know, the Virginia delegate races and then your uh, local school uh, issues, very worthwhile applications uh, for sure. And you mentioned Facebook integration. Talk about some of the ways that Outreach Circle, the platform, uh, integrates other databases and tools and things like uh, social media. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, if you're in politics on the Democratic side, um, you generally want most states you're working with NGP Van. And so we have a really tight integration with NGP Van, where if you're trying to reach out to uh, voters, you can pull in your voter files directly from Van and not have to worry about what uploads and downloads. That is absolutely terrific. I just have to say, I know a lot of people listening are going to be familiar with Van. That is the platform that you use for uh, when you're canvassing that provides uh, and records voter data as you go. So the fact that you're integrating with that is just awesome. Thanks so much. Yeah, when uh, Van was opening up a couple of years ago, we were one of their first partners. So um, we know those APIs really well, and we've been developing them for a while. So voter files can come in and out. But then even better is the data that's generated in Outreach Circle can be sent directly back to uh, Van. So any voter that is texted, emailed, any of that automatically gets sent back. If you're doing a survey question, you know, will you support us? You know, one to three or one to five type of question. All of that gets synced back to Van. Uh, with respect to Facebook, if you want to share on social media, you can do it straight through Facebook, through the Action Hub. But one thing is really key, the way we do it, we don't ask any extra user permissions from our users with respect to Facebook. So when they are sharing on Facebook through our platform, we don't authenticate as them, we don't post as them. It's a pure organic post, just as if they were posting on their, on their own. So we're not tracking all kinds of extra uh, activities that our users are doing on Facebook, for example. And then something else that I understand you addressed when converting from Voter Circle to Outreach Circle was oftentimes with campaigns, you kind of have to start from scratch. Uh, and with Outreach Circle, you're allowing people to kind of build from an existing network so they don't have to start from scratch each time they start a campaign. Am I getting that right? Yeah. You know, one of the best ways to not start from scratch is to never end. Mm. And so... 
one of the things, and you know, Dylan talks about this people power, right? You and should, I should just mention, you're talking about Dylan Kate. He was uh, formerly uh, field organizing director with the Washington State Democrats. He is currently with the Elizabeth Warren campaign. That's correct. Yes. So Dylan, you know, I think he had done a podcast with you guys and written an article and he talks about people power and how you want to plan for the day after election day. That's right. So it kind of harkens back to the best way to start early is to never end. And so the way we've developed the platform is supporters can stay on there forever. There's no charge. And we have free platforms. We have low cost versions of the platform. So depending on your budgets, when you are priming up for an election, you can get one of our paid platforms. And then once election day is over, you can downgrade to a lower cost platform or downgrade to the free platform. And the supporter action hub is there for free um, all the time. And so you can continue to build, recruit, engage, maintain. And then when you're ramping up, if you want um, additional features, um, et cetera, you can uh, upgrade back to the paid platform. And so that way you never have to shut things down. You can always just continue to build, grow and maintain instead of ramp, start all over, ramp, start all over. Well, this is all great. And I know that a lot of this information that you're talking about here, the price breakdowns and so forth, is available online. Where should people go to check that out? Yeah. So if you want to use the platform for your organization or cause, you can go to client.outreachcircle.com and there's plans and pricing right there. Everything is automated. So you can just create an account right then and there. And then if you're a supporter and you want to support another campaign or cause, you can just go to outreachcircle.com and search for a campaign or cause. So if you have friends in Virginia, for example, um, they can just go to outreachcircle.com, type in uh, Take the Majority, I think is the name of the campaign we created for uh, the coordinated. And you can just go on and reach out to your friends there. I think we do have uh, a handful of clients that are live in Washington State and Seattle right now as well. So you could search for Washington State or Seattle and see if there's uh, campaigns that you want to support. Very cool. I encourage people to check it out. And I will have that information for people at IndivisiblePodcast.org. Sangeet Pururi is the CEO and founder of Outreach Circle. Sangeet, it's been great to talk to you. Thanks so much, man. Thank you. I really appreciate the time. That will do it for this week's show. If you guys missed anything, if there's anything that you want to catch up on, past shows, etc., if you want links to the things that we talked about, all of that can be found at indivisiblepodcast.org. And you can go and subscribe to the show there too and get the show in your email inbox. So cool. If you would like to get in touch, the email address for the show is indivisiblepodcast at gmail.com. And the Twitter handle, as always, is at indivisiblepod. The Washington State Indivisible Podcast is a production of Get Creative Inc. and is part of the Demcast family of podcasts. Learn more about Demcast at DemcastUSA.com. Our associate producer is Charlotte Gittleman. Thank you again to my guests, Rich Smith, Chris Petzold, Colin Jurgens, and Sangeeth Pereri. Special thanks to Lori Caldwell. And as always, my thanks to you guys for listening. We'll talk to you next time. Bye.